I really hated who I was. Like one part of me was sort of like into yoga and healthy living and, you know, meditation and all those things, kind of. And then the other part of me was just like this out of control trash bag. And so I was waking up, you know, with that incongruency of like, who even am I? Like, what am I doing? Who is this person? And doing things that I disliked. So I started hating myself and blaming myself. I never thought to think, blame the alcohol. I just blamed myself and thought there was something wrong with me. From Women's Health Australia, this is Uninterrupted, a podcast where we share candid chats on all aspects of well-being so that you can live a healthier, more empowered life. I'm Managing Editor Alex Davies, filling in for our editor, Lisa Gebelagin. Alcohol had long been a part of Danny Carr's world. From her early days growing up in central Victoria to her career as a gigging musician, over the years, drinking impacted so many areas of her life, until one day she decided to team up with her husband and friends to go sober together, and it changed everything. Now Danny uses her lived experience to help others, both through her work as a sober coach and as the host of the podcast, How I Quit Alcohol. In this episode, I chat to Danny about her sobriety journey and the confronting moment that sparked a change. Plus, she gives practical strategies for addressing our relationship with alcohol, becoming a more mindful drinker, and navigating the sober or sober curious life. Danny, thank you so much for being here with us. And yeah, welcome. Thanks for having me, Alex. So, we're going to be talking a lot today about your journey and your experience with alcohol, and also your advice and tips for those of us who want to become more mindful when it comes to our relationship with alcohol. And I'd love to start with just going back in time, if you're happy to. Can you just tell me a bit about, I guess, yeah, your experience, your relationship with alcohol before you decided to stop drinking? Well, I started drinking at an early age, grew up in uh, the country in Australia, central Victoria. And it was just the culture there, like everybody drank on weekends. We were binge drinkers and that's just what we did every single weekend. And then I guess that followed into our 20s. And then, you know, kept going into our 30s. And even though we've had kids now, it's still kind of going and probably getting worse, if I was to be honest, like, you know, it's kind of going to big blackout binges. And so whilst I didn't drink every single day, it was, you know, it was a habit to drink, you know, a lot on the weekends when the weekends came around. And my husband, his name's Ash Grunwald. He's also a touring musician and he's away gigging all the time. And so I guess as well within the music industry, it's expected, like it's expected of you to drink. I'm a musician as well, way back, but at my own gigs, at Ash's gigs, at our friends' gigs, it was just so much alcohol plied on. And so you're kind of rocking up to work and drinking as well. And then he'd go off on tour and drink and I would drink at home because I was lonely and then he'd, and he'd be drinking and then he'd come home and then we'd drink together And it was just getting pretty out of control, but I was noticing that the binges were getting worse. So I was waking up at 2am and I think a lot of people can relate to this, that feeling at 2am when your heart's pounding, you can't remember going to bed. I could smell vomit in my hair. I'm wondering what I did. I was getting to the point I couldn't remember putting my kids to bed. I couldn't remember if I'd fed my kids. Like, so I'd get up at like three in the morning or two and race down to see what dishes were there you know, were the kids in bed, you know, did my youngest have a nappy on? And I almost like could start crying just thinking about that because it was just terrifying, but I didn't know how to stop. Like I just did not know how to stop. And it was getting worse and worse. And then starting to just question my own behavior when I was drinking. And then 
and that waking up and going through my phone and who did I call and I just felt like I was out of control and I was just on this like it was snowballing and it was like this freight train that I couldn't stop. But most people would say, my friends who drink a lot, you're fine, you're fine, you're funny. And so you kind of think that's okay and you keep going, and, but you know it's not okay. So that's how bad it got until a friend of mine, my, my best friend, said she was going to take a year off drinking. And I said, as soon as she said it, I was just like, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. It was like her saying that because we drank together so much gave me the permission to say, yes, I'll do it too. So I asked my husband, Ash, whose drinking was also out of control, I'm going to do this. Do you want to do it as well? And he was like, yes, for sure. And then we asked, our, uh, we're talking to some other friends, Scott, the bass player from the band. I don't know if you know The Living End. Um, they're a huge band in Australia. And he was like, I'm in. And his girlfriend said, I'm in. And so we had a little group of us and we said, that's it, 12 months, we're not drinking. And that's how it began. And that was in 2018, New Year's Day. It was four and a half years ago. Oh, my goodness. Because I was going to ask, was there a catalyst or a turning point, I guess, that made you think, it is time to reassess this? Or do you think it had just been something that had been building up for a while that you were conscious and aware of? Yeah, it was building up all the time, like all those kind of things that I spoke about where I'd wake up and I really hated who I was. Like one part of me was sort of like into yoga and healthy living and, you know, meditation and all those things kind of. And then the other part of me was just like this out of control trash bag. And so I was waking up, you know, with that incongruency of like, who even am I? Like, and what am I doing? Who is this person? And doing things that I disliked. So I started hating myself and blaming myself. I never thought to think blame the alcohol. I just blamed myself and thought there was something wrong with me. I thought I could fix it. And probably the last night was the last big binging session I had was I was meant to be looking after a friend's kids, some friend's kids and my kids. And we we're going to have a movie night at our villa in Bali. We lived in Bali for a few years. And we met at a place we thought we'd have a few drinks. I was drinking double vodkas for some stupid reason at, you know, one in the afternoon. I don't even know what happened, but I remember getting home in the taxi and getting out and vomiting all over my shoes in front of my kids. Those parents of the kids had to come home with me because they couldn't leave their kids with me, obviously, and had to kind of help me look after my kids. And there was a pretty rock bottom moment too of going in and still vomiting and my daughter, my eldest daughter, holding my hair back. And she's saying, it's okay, mommy, you probably just ate something bad. And I don't know, I passed out and I woke up at about 11 o'clock at night and I just was so embarrassed. My friends were out, they were out there listening to music. They'd put the kids to bed. I totally, like, I let them down. I let my kids down, let myself down. And I just thought, I just can't do this. I can't do this anymore. I hate this. But I didn't know how still. So my, my friend probably said about the year off about, a few weeks later, and that's when I was like, I'm in. So it was a few months after that that we decided, because it was New Year's Day, that we decided to do it. But um, I just sort of watched my drinking a bit up until then and went for it. <laughs> How did he find that year off, that kind of challenge doing that, those 12 months? Did it help as well, having people around you who were doing the same thing? Absolutely. So I think that having the group, that was the game changer, that having that accountability to other people. We had a little WhatsApp group because we were in Bali and they were in Australia and we called it Club Sober. And so anytime like the guys had a gig or I, you know, was going out to a wedding, say, or if anyone was doing something, we'd check in with the group and say, oh, this is what I'm doing tonight and, you know, I'm a bit shit scared of this or and we'd get some support from one another. I remember one day, it's probably about five months in, I was in Margaret River in WA and I was cooking some pasta and something in me just 
wanted, I was listening to Elton John, I'm cooking the pasta, it was cold. I'm like, I need red wine. I just, and I wanted it so badly. And I actually drove down to the bottle shop and got it. And I said to the guys, I'm out. I can't do this. This is too hard. And then one of the group members was just like, no way. You put that glass, put the bottle away and go and have a cup of tea outside. You're committed to this. And so I didn't do it. And I went and had the cup of tea outside and, oh, thank God. But that first year was tough, you know. Well, it was tough initially in the first few weeks. I remember the first day was okay, but then within maybe two weeks I thought, what the fuck have I done? What am I doing? This is like, what? Because <laughs> this is so foreign to me. And Ash was pretty good. Like he was going off to gigs and he just decided, like, I'm, I'm in. So he was okay, but I was thinking, what have I done? And oh no. And I was thinking, this is going to suck for 12 months. How am I going to even do this? And I thought, well, I've got to change my mindset pretty quickly because if I'm doing this for 12 months, I need to kind of get some kind of enjoyment out of it. So it went really hard. We started like a gratitude practice and read a lot of self-help books, listened to Wayne Dyer and people like that. And so I made sure every day I listened to something really good and had a really strong gratitude practice. We did like daily affirmations about what we wanted for ourselves, who I wanted to be at the end of it. And every day I thanked myself for not, not giving in and for getting through the night before and just started, this was the big clincher too for me. I started to wake up and tell myself, well done, or tell like congratulate myself or say, good on you, Danny. Like I know it sounds kind of weird, but I figured for decades I'd been waking up going, you fucking idiot, Danny, you've done it again. You're a moron, you're a loser. So I wanted to change the way I spoke to myself and I knew that that would help. And so after a few months of waking up doing that, I started to realize how far away I was from waking up hating on myself. And I thought, I don't want to go back. And so when we got to the end of the 12 months, I said to Ash, I don't know what you guys are doing, but I can't go back. I can't go back to speaking to myself that way. And I know I've tried to moderate billions of times before and I know it doesn't work for me. So I'm not going back. There's no more. (laughs) And Ash, my husband, he said, me too. I'm done. Like his whole, he's got this whole amazing story about his journey but it just transformed his whole music career and all these great things started happening. It was got fit and really hot. And we all just decided, no, we're not going back. So we didn't. (laughs) I love that whether you were saying about how you start your day as well is in so much more of a positive way, because then that sets you up for the rest of the day being more of a positive one. Then you set yourself off on the right foot, I guess, every day. Well, it changes everything. If you set yourself up with a kind of right morning routine, it kind of sets the tone for your whole day. And it didn't mean that like every day was roses because it wasn't. Like there were some really difficult times and we had to get through some major events and, you know, big parties and things like that. But I mean, that's a whole other story, but we did it. We got through it. But yeah, it wasn't easy all the time. But I don't know, that kind of setting yourself up right at the start of the day made a huge impact. And I just knew I started to feel so much better about myself. Like I couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. I honestly really hated myself. I thought all sorts of horrible things about myself until I can I can look in front of the mirror. I could stand there naked now. I really like who I am now because I'm so much more confident because I know I haven't done things that are questionable or that make me feel like a bad mum or a bad friend. It feels so much better for me anyway than it was life-changing. That's what I was going to say, actually, because you were saying it's been, what, four years now. And what has this brought to your life? What is making that decision and doing all that work? You know, how in terms of your, you know, your well-being, your mental health, your relationships, you know, and what kind of impact has it had? I can't even 
really put it into words how much it's changed everything. So a lot of my relationships changed, of course, like people I drank a lot with. I don't see so much anymore. I stopped getting invited to a lot of parties and navigating that was hard at first and that felt a bit lonely. But then I made other friends and new friends and they're not all teetotalers, but, you know, they're people that maybe don't, they're not full on like getting smashed all the time like we were with our friend group. And everything, like me emotionally and spiritually, it just changed so much. But mainly my mindset was the biggest one. Like, But I worked hard on it. It's not like it just happened like this because I stopped drinking. You know, I stopped having my anxiety stopped. I stopped having panic attacks and this negative loop that I was always in, I was able to kind of see it and stop it. You know, I was able to go, no, I don't have to believe that thought just because I'm having that thought. And that just came from a lot of learning, you know, reading a lot of self-help books and listening to great podcasts and books and things like that. And so everything changed. Yeah. My relationship with my husband, like we were pretty rocky there before this 12 months off. And that was another reason why we, you know, I wanted to stop to have that clarity at the end of the 12 months to see where we were going. And, you know, just what a a beautiful thing to do, like as a couple to go on this kind of journey together. It was amazing. And just everything has changed, like everything. And again, like, it's not like every day is like fighting rainbows and dancing unicorns kind of thing, but it, um, God, it's so much better than what it was, you know, it's amazing. And that's obviously you use your lived experience to help other people now. And I wondered if you could tell me a little bit about some of the work you do for those who don't know, and I guess what motivates you with it. Yeah, well, gosh, we started the podcast mainly because a lot of people were messaging us because they knew us or knew Ash and like, how the hell did you guys quit drinking? Like, how did you guys do it? And most people didn't think we'd last the year, let alone keep going with it. And so it's probably yeah, a couple of years in that we thought, I said to Ash, let's tell the story. I want to do a podcast on it also because I was emailing people all the time, telling them, you know, how. And I thought, well, we'll just put it to a recording and everyone can hear it. And so that started the podcast, the How I Quit Alcohol podcast. And from that, I ended up a lot of people messaging me saying, would I mentor them or would I coach them? And that started happening a lot. And then so I started studying, I did like a life coach course and now I'm studying with Gabor Mate, the Compassionate Inquiry course and have done a lot of study. And I just, I love it. Like I love being able to help people. And so we used our, like my experience of what I did and what worked for me. And I thought, well, all I can offer is what I know worked for me. And then some of the other things I've learned along the way. And it's amazing. Like I've worked with hundreds of people now and not all of them are 100% successful, but a lot of them have been and their life has changed incredibly as well. And, you know, it's it's amazing. Like it's the best thing. I, and I never thought I'd ever end up doing anything like this. Oh, my God. So that's amazing in itself as well. Just I can't believe it. I could pinch myself sometimes that I get to do a job where I help people and I feel so fulfilled. It must be nice when you get feedback from people as well saying like this is really made like a tangible difference to my life. That must be so wonderful for you to hear. It's almost hard to even believe, like to really let it sink in. Sometimes I think, whoa. And people, I get so many messages every day, just people that have quit all the time, like from just listening to the podcast, you know, that I've never even met. And they're like, oh, you changed my life. And, you know, I've been quit for a year now and it's changed my relationships and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, wow, that's amazing. I don't even know this person. I've never talked to them. And um, and it's not me. I wouldn't say that I've changed their life. They've changed their life. But I guess it's all the guests that come on and share their story and 
you know, are willing to say how they did it. And I guess everyone's so different, all the different stories, and someone will resonate with one person on a podcast and go, I might do what they did. And I don't know. And then they make these changes and it's amazing. Funny enough, I was going to ask you that actually. So I know maybe it's hard to pick, but if there's a guest particularly that you've had on the podcast who's really resonated with you and someone almost memorable maybe or someone whose story's really stuck with you or with the listeners. Gee, oh my gosh, there's so many and I'd hate to offend anyone. <laughs> but a couple like Greg, his, his name's Greg, he's the booze-free dad from Melbourne, just a beautiful human and just a great guy, really charismatic and, and amazing. I just interviewed someone that did one of my challenges. Um, she's only three and a half months in, Michelle French, and she went through the King Lake bushfires here that happened in Australia and lost a lot of friends and property and things like that. And her story was really gut-wrenching and I had you know a lot of people messaging about that. There's another lady named Lorraine who started drinking fine wines and ended up drinking methyl and losing her kids. And that was heartbreaking. That was hard. And another guy who, she got, I think all of them, there's another guy who had it the last time he drank, he had a massive car accident, rolled his car. He was drunk with his six-year-old in the back. And that was hard. And he changed his whole life. And just, he actually said the best, as hard as it was, and he was breaking down telling the story on the podcast, but it changed his life. And you hear that all the time, people, their rock bottom moment was actually something that even though it was so so horrific and so horrible for them and had a lot of shame associated with it, they were able to change their life because of it and get themselves together and completely transform themselves. So then they kind of see it as a gift in the end. And I think that there's so much power in that. And there's that kind of hope for people in stories like that. It's so powerful. And I think what comes out to me from the examples you're giving is how different these people are and how different their life experiences are. And yet alcohol can make a, a role or become a challenge in anyone's life, no matter who you are, or what walk of life you're in. And I'd really like to ask you for any, I guess, advice perhaps on how we might be able to know that it's maybe time to rethink our relationship with alcohol, whether it's cutting back, whether it's cutting out completely, are there any sort of maybe signs or ways we might feel, do you think? You know, what's your advice for people if they want to just even just reflect on that, I guess? Yeah, I think it's worth looking at your relationship with alcohol. I think if you need it to get through a Friday night, if you need it to get through a social event, if you need it, and then it's also causing you problems. So if you're someone that has a glass of wine on a Friday night with a friend and it doesn't bother you again for, you know, a few weeks or, or whatever, I wouldn't worry. <laughs> I think you're fine. But the people that, you know, are waking up and they're not, they're kind of, oh, I guess, feeling regret or shame or anxiety and also feeling like they can't stop, like I said, that they need it to kind of keep going or, you know, I would say that is definitely time to start having a look at it and seeing if you can change it. And sure, you know, you could try and cut back and moderate. Didn't work for me. Didn't work for a lot of people. Like people that have been sober for 12 years and thought they'd have just one and then they're right back where they started. And that seems to be the cycle, unfortunately, for people that have had a kind of quite a, a full-on excessive relationship with alcohol. But not to say it doesn't happen. I'm sure it does. Yeah, so I think if you're noticing that there's a problem and then start thinking, okay, well, even if you start more mindfully with it, really noticing what it is. So I really believe that alcohol is an attempt to solve a problem often when it's a problem. And so if you're feeling discomfort or if you're feeling uncomfortable, for me it was social anxiety 
Like I'm actually quite introverted, but you wouldn't have known when I was drinking because I was like the life of the party and the loudest person there. And I'm actually don't like parties. I like quiet time and one-on-ones and I don't do parties very well. It was alcohol was forcing me into the situation to be someone else that I wasn't. And then I ended up making crap decisions because of that because I drink so much to cover my anxiety. So anyway, so I guess it's learning. This is a big thing that I'd teach to someone in our pro, in the challenges is that learning to sit in the uncomfortable, finding out what the uncomfortable is and really tuning in when you have a craving and asking yourself what it is I really need right now. Like is it that I just want to relax and is there another way I can relax? Is it that I'm needing confidence? Um, am I feeling socially awkward? And perhaps it's, okay, if I go to a party, I can acknowledge to myself that I feel socially awkward. I don't have to try and ignore it, but you can say to yourself, and I do this all the time, fuck, I feel really uncomfortable here. I feel quite uncomfortable right now, but I'm okay. <laughs> so reminding yourself that you're okay. Um, you know, and then of course there's the other things like, you know, having a plan to get through a night, perhaps to drink less or to not drink at all. So just rocking up, there's so many amazing alcohol-free options now. It's amazing beers, there's amazing alcohol-free wines, gins, all these things. You can rock up to a party and people wouldn't even know you're not drinking half the time. There's so many amazing options. So I would say if you're going to go to a party and you don't want to drink, arm yourself with all the drinks that you can have and have one on hand, you know, because we feel more comfortable if we get there straight away, pour our non-alc drink and you, you know, you've got it there ready to go and you feel kind of protected or something and no one really questions you. And so that's a good tip. And then, you know, getting out, moving your body aerobically every day, um, starting a gratitude practice is helpful and definitely a community, you know, and, and having some structure. I think having a structure, a program, like AA is an amazing program. I never did it, but I know plenty of people that have done it. I run programs. There's loads of programs out there now that if you can't find one, that you'll find one that fits for you. So that kind of a program helps. And mainly like having connection with someone anyone that can kind of spur you along that will help you on your journey. I think, you know, Johan Hari says the opposite to addiction is connection. So having that connection with people, I think that's why I was successful in that first year of having that group. I think that's really important because going something like that alone is really hard. It's tough. I think it makes it a bit unenjoyable as well. So it's good if you can get a buddy. It's fantastic. Because that's what you were saying about the support and obviously some of your relationships changing when you first went sober but having new ones and cultivating new ones around you and things and you know that I can imagine that is a really that is a challenging side for people dealing with the you know there shouldn't be but sometimes social social stigma from people of oh you know why aren't you I want you drinking and that kind of thing and especially for women I think sometimes as well because you know you'll have people say oh are you pregnant and all this kind of thing and I think there's that social side as well and what's your advice I guess for navigating that a bit or maybe you know if you get confronted with something like that on your kind of journey to trying to be a bit more mindful with your alcohol what do you think yeah I think it's so expected of us unfortunately in our society to commiserate or to celebrate like there's always a reason to drink and people do think god what's wrong with her she's not drinking I know I used to like our friends that didn't drink I would steer so clear of I thought they were so boring, but then, <laughs> now I hang out with them all the time. They're not boring at all. They're amazing. Yeah, look, if people question you, it's usually because it, it's usually your sobriety or your, you not drinking might shine a light on their issue perhaps that they have with alcohol. I think it's really important to just be really firm in why you're doing it. So even if it's to have the weekend off because you want to get through Monday feeling really good, 
the following week. You can just say that like, oh, no, I'm just giving it a break for the weekend. I just really need to feel good next week. You know, I've got a lot on next week. It's unfortunate we have to make excuses, but, you, you know, think about your why as well for yourself. So remember when you're going to a party or if you know you're going to get questioned, just get strong within yourself about why you're doing it. And I don't know, I think most people are on the on the train now as well. There's so many, like it's sort of becoming a bit cool now to not drink. It's becoming so much more socially accepted. That's amazing as well. Like people are pretty cool with people rocking up with non-alcoholic beers to a party. Yeah, I think people are catching on more and more. Yeah, it feels like a huge movement at the moment, even just to become more conscious of how much we're drinking. And like you say, just thinking about that a little bit more. And and even what you were saying as well about the amount of non-alcoholic drinks available at the moment. And I always think of my grandfather years ago, for health reasons, um, had to stop drinking much to his dismay. And he, I remember, I think he had one one zero you know zero alcohol lager option and that was kind of it and then I think about now and we've just got so many things that you can make any kind of mocktail or anything you want you know with what's available now and I wondered are there any go-tos for you do you have any sort of kind of no alcohol drinks that you often turn to or that you really love I really love the Monday distillery gins they're the non-alcoholic gins they're beautiful and they've got botanicals in them and they've got no sugar and they're amazing I'm having an etch sparkling right now. They're an Australian company. Um, my husband, Ash, loves the Heaps Normal beers. They're zero beer. He loves them. He absolutely loves them. But I just love my soda stream, you know, the old soda stream. And then I <laughs> I buy really beautiful, like, you know, sort of fancy cordials and things like that to put in, not like your Cotty's cordial, raspberry cordial, or that probably wouldn't be bad, but, you know, some really nice elixirs and things like that I'll put in and put some mint in and sort of pimp them up a bit. I sort of make it a really enjoyable thing. And that's the other thing too. I'd say to someone early on, if you're a drink, if someone that drinks at home, get yourself a really beautiful new like glass, like beautiful highball glass or something really different and really make yourself a beautiful fancy drink in that glass and sort of changes the ritual a little bit as well. And you have, if it's really beautiful, really fancy sort of heavy crystal or something that feels a bit nice as well, you feel like you're giving yourself a bit of a treat. That worked for me really well at the start as well. I really love that idea. It makes me think I'm, so I'm doing this from the UK. So this is a UK example, but my, we just got for my mum recently, these lovely gin glasses from a company that upcycles old bottles in that kind of sense. And they make the bottles into beautiful kind of glasses. And I'm sure there are companies in Australia that do that too, but it was such a nice thing to feel like, you know, she has that special glass that's just hers. And that's such a good point you make about that, making that a ritual and something, you know, you're not just grabbing a any old glass out the cupboard kind of thing. Yeah, and it kind of can signify as well that that's your time off for yourself because some people will only let themselves sit down and relax with a glass of wine. So it can kind of send your brain that signal, well, that glass comes out, then I'm giving myself permission to stop for 10 minutes, you know, before I start dinner or before I feed the kids or whatever. So that can help too. And the other thing I was going to ask about is on the flip side slightly is about finding a balance, I guess, between, you know, if we are making this something that we want to pursue and trying to become more mindful with our drinking about not making it something that we put too much pressure on ourselves about, I guess. And if it becomes a, an item on the to-do list, I guess, you know, or if we don't follow through with what we want to do one day and we feel guilty about it, you know, how do you find that balance, I guess, between not making it something else, another thing on the list to kind of feel the weight of on our shoulders? I would, oh, look, I'd say just do your best, you know, and if you do slip up, you slip up. 
and you dust yourself off and you start again. It's definitely for whatever reason you needed it at the time. You know, we usually are drinking to solve a problem often. So for whatever reason, but I wouldn't never give myself a hard time about that if, or if someone I was working with, if they were going to slip up, but what worked for me and I've not had a drink, I've not even had a sip since we started our 12 months. I decided in my brain that I was going to enjoy the process. You know how I said early on, I, I was like, what the fuck, you know, and I knew I had to change my mindset. And I thought to myself, I'm giving myself this gift. I'm not missing out on anything. I'm gaining something. And I kept thinking about all the things I was gaining from sobriety and everything I was gaining every single weekend. I didn't wake up hating myself. And that really, really helped because I think as soon as you start seeing that you're giving something up and it's this big sacrifice and it's going to be terrible, you hate the whole process then. And it's, I think you'd probably slip off the wagon pretty quickly. So really trying to reinforce the good, the good part of it and that you're giving yourself something. And I would even look at people, not in a judgmental way, but they would be drinking outside in the sun and I'd sort of have that bit of a pang of yearning. And then I'd switch it around to, oh, the poor things, look at them. They have to drink. (laughs) They have to drink to enjoy themselves. And oh, thank God I don't have to do that anymore. So these little tricks, these little kind of games you can play with your mind to kind of switch the way you think about it really helps. But Anytime it becomes a chore, anytime it becomes something that you're giving yourself a hard time about, like shame gets you nowhere. You know, shame just kind of keeps you stuck in that rut. So I think anytime you try, anytime you get through a night without it, if you were trying to do that, that's a huge success. And I'd love to know what is next for you. You know, what's on the horizon, I guess, whether professionally, personally, kind of what's coming up? Well, gee, well, we've got a book coming out. My husband and I have been writing this book for quite a while. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, thank you. It's a bit like kind of our mem- memoirs a little bit and a bit of our history like his with the music industry and mine just growing up as a trash bag in central Victoria. But then it's very much based on what we did and how we got through. And, um, yeah, so that's hopefully be coming out next year. It takes a long time to write a book. I can only imagine, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God, there's so much back and forth. But just more, um, I just love doing the podcast. I'm loving the podcast. For now, I'm loving doing the challenges with people, working with people. And just, I just want to keep studying and learning and hopefully helping more people and just, I don't know, just doing what I've been doing. And for as long as I'm enjoying to do it, then I'll keep doing it. Yeah. And then just very lastly, I feel like we've spoken about so much and you've given so many fantastic kind of pieces of advice, but I wondered if you could only just leave us with one, our listeners with one tip. What would you want us to know or keep in mind? Get grateful. Be grateful for your life. You know, be grateful for the people that challenge you and the people that are in your life and the roof over your head. And, you know, because sometimes we can go into that catastrophic thinking and thinking that poor is me and woe is me and we forget how lucky we are. And just being stuck in that kind of mindset well, was for me was what got me drinking a lot of the time so just remembering how lucky we are and how fortunate we are and that every day is a new day this episode of uninterrupted was hosted by me alex davies and produced by editor-in-chief lisa gebelagen with additional sound editing by abby williams for more from us pick up a copy of our latest issue with tia claire tumior on the cover find it on newsstands or online via apple news plus Visit us on womenshealth.com.au and follow us on Instagram at womenshealthaus. See you next time.